I could just feel it in the city on Friday evening as we heard word of what had happened in Paris. And um, it just seems in those moments, you realize that the, it seems like the whole world has gone dark. And everybody in the world is asking if there's any light. Is there any light to be found in the midst of darkness? And everybody asks that question. I don't care what faith background, what heritage you come from. Everybody asks a question in moments like this. Is there any light anywhere? We're reminded again that it was Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. It won't be found in an organization or a group or a nation. It's found in Jesus Christ who said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. And the light to be found in the world is found in a God who shows us the light through the gift of his Son. And even as we prepare for Advent, we're reminded of how needed, how necessary it is for the light to shine into darkness. And so let's continue to be, let's continue to be praying for that. Let's um, ask God to have his light shine in our heart this morning as we look into his word um, that the world might see not us, but the character of the one who resides in those who invite him near. Would you pray with me as we spend this time now in God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality, the power, the, the um, uh, unique trait of your compassion and your mercy and your love and your ability to transform lives. And so, Lord, we pray that that would happen in the world. We pray that the nations of the world, the peoples of the world, would be able to see a genuine understanding and view of you. And, Lord, we pray we would see it, too, this morning as we spend time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to actually go up to the Heisey's farm uh, in, uh, in Kansas and uh, got to sit in a soybean picker. Not like the ones I remember growing up with all the dust and everything. It was like, almost felt like an airplane cockpit. I thought, I could be a farmer these days with all the electronics. And it was just this exhilarating thing to sit up in this cockpit and just watch all of the, this, this harvest come in and go through and the calculations, what was happening with the percentage of moisture in the beans and have them thrown back into the crib behind and then hauled away. It was just exhilarating. It was like, who wouldn't want to be a farmer? And it's really true. There is that part of farming that is remarkable, uh, particularly during harvest time. Who doesn't want to be a farmer? And there are farmers that have grown up in it. And we know it's hard work. I mean, it's incredibly hard work. It's relentless. You have to know so many things. You have to be a chemist, and you have to be a, uh, a meteorologist, and you have to be a gambler, and you, I'm all of the, and, and auto mechanic, mechanic, everything you've got to be in order to be a farmer. It is just relentless and difficult work, but when the harvest comes, there must be this sense like after a great golf shot, I'm coming back again. Just this sense of joy that is found in the midst of that hard work. I have an idea, actually, because it is so hard, and you've got to get it just exactly right all the time. What if farmers just decided to grow weeds? It's just so much easier. 
You know, I mean, you wouldn't have to worry about things. I'm, I'm growing weeds in my uh, 40 acres. How about you? Well, we're in James chapter 5 this morning. It's talking about a farmer, and the crop that the farmer wants to grow is a valuable crop. So we're not talking about weeds here this morning. We're talking about something that takes work, and, and a harvest takes place. And when the harvest takes place, something of incredible value, uh, uh, value has, has come into play. When we started the book of James, almost from the very first verse, we were reminded of the importance of perseverance, and that perseverance does its work. It's at the start of James, and now here it is at the end. James is again speaking about perseverance. It's trust over time, but it is this example of patience in verse 10. Those who have persevered in verse 11, James has come back to it, and his bookends of this book talking about perseverance at the outset and then talking about perseverance at the end of it, we realize he's talked about a relevant life that is characterized by many of the things we've talked about over these last number of weeks. But the reason why a life can have an impact, the reason why a life can bear fruit, a valuable crop, is because we choose a life of perseverance. And James talks about what it looks like to trust God over time. What does it look like in my life and yours to trust God over time? It's easy for us to say, I trust God, but then the difficulties come, the hardships and the suffering, the setbacks, the unexpected disappointments, the, the, the floundering, the flailing. What does it look like to trust God over time? And we see the dimensions of that as we come to the conclusion here. James is immensely practical and relevant to life. Let's look at what perseverance is about. I want to hit four basic points here this morning and some subpoints underneath it. But I want to start out at the outset to recognize this, that time is actually a gift that is given by God. This is about time, and we see here as the theme, James talks about patience, to wait for the Lord, to patiently waiting. Be patient, stand firm, he says. You continue to move down and you see patience in the face of suffering. Verse 11 is a reference to those who have persevered. Then Job's perseverance and see what the Lord finally brought about. And you realize James is talking about time and what we do with time. But before we go there in regards to what do we do with time, I think it's important for us to know that God actually made time. He is the creator of time. In the beginning was. When, when the clock started ticking in the beginning, because we call it the beginning, when the clock started ticking, God already was. And then, for our benefit, he created time. You can even go back to the very first book in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, before he even creates the stars and the moon and the sun. He creates time. Look at what he does with day one. That's the declaration of day one. God does this wonderful thing. He gives us time. He actually makes it. And you and I know when we see it over and over again in God's word, God is so good at time. He uses time to do extraordinary things. And so he gives to us I'm going to give you time. And so wherever we are on that clock, whatever birthday it is, 
Every single one of those birthdays, every single one of those days is a gift that God has given me of time. No year is less valuable than any other. The whole package is a gift. Every single year, every single day, every single hour, God is saying to you, I'm giving you this gift, and it is a gift of time. Time is a setting in which living things grow. That's what we learn here. He, he creates the rains and the seasons, and living things grow. Why does he create time? It's the second point, really. It's because time has unique power. There are powers resident in this gift that he has given us. God created time for a purpose. Time, first of all, it bears fruit. Time allows living things to grow. That's what it does. Why does God establish time? So we actually get to watch living things grow. And eventually... Living things that grow lead to, in this text, a harvest. It's just a certainty. If you take a living thing and you let it grow, it will bear fruit into harvest. It makes me think about the challenge in James chapter 1 to be people who walk in the light rather than on the path that leads to death. It comes back to it here. Be a living thing. Surrender your life to Christ. Worship him because in it is found life. There's an invitation here again to be a living thing in which the spirit of the living God resides. This is why we talk about it being so critical to give our lives to the Lord. To walk away from being directed and guided by who I am and to walk into a relationship with him. To ask him to be the one who forgives our sins and our waywardness and our rebellion and, and to take over our life. And that's the path that is the path that leads to life. If I choose to be on that path, I can be sure of the most remarkable thing that my life will bear fruit, that there will be a harvest. I mean, you may be in the midst of all sorts of difficulty and challenge right now, but as a living thing in which the spirit of the living God resides, your life will bear fruit. There will be a harvest. I had a chance to be able to talk to one of our people from our congregation who's been there from almost the very beginning. I just stopped by to see him yesterday afternoon. and There he was in a body absolutely crumbled around him. And we couldn't really have a conversation very adequately. He apologized and he just couldn't get the words out of his mouth. But you know what he did reference? He referenced his ongoing zeal for the Lord. There is a power there that is more remarkable. There is an impact with that life that is more remarkable 
that anything else this person ever did in their life, they can, with a body that's broken, a mind that's disappointed, still being able, still able to say, God is good and worthy of my praise. And I told him, I need to hear that from someone in your situation. You see, God is always doing it through our lives, the difficulties and, and the joys of it and the living of it. He always intends for it to bear fruit. <laughs> and how does it happen? It can't happen without time. It allows seasoning to take place. Time bears fruit. Secondly, time builds community. We wait for his judgment and, um, and we assist others as we wait. He's the one who is the judge, not us. James here talked to us about our tongue and the use of it, about jealousy, about disregard for others. And he says there are so many tendencies for us to go our own way and for us to um, 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 just be so self-centered. And yet he invites us to live with the same compassion and mercy that was true for him. He, it says here, the, the Lord stands at the door. He, he is the judge. Earlier in chapter 4, I don't know if you noticed that when we were there. We didn't take a lot of time to be able to mention it. But he talked in verse, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 about not being the judge. Don't be the judge. The Lord is going to be the judge. You just be a brother and a sister. And we see this reminder here that the Lord is the judge. And then we get to chapter 5 at the very end of it, and he's reminded again of what our role is. Our role is to be a brother and sister. And when we see another brother and sister that's, that's going the wrong way, that's strained, what do we do? We, we don't judge. We, we run to them, and we help them turn around and, and bring them back to the light because they're brothers, they're they're sisters. That's what we do. We actually, we restore them. What does that do? That builds community. You restore a brother or sister. You're restored by a brother and sister. This happens. Community is built. And so we walk through the trials of life. And we have setbacks. And we have friends who have had their life set back. And in the midst of that time together, we restore each other gently we work in each other's life, we encourage and we correct and we guide and we become this close because over time, community is built. And then third, time eliminates confusion. We begin with such simple understandings of what God is like and when we wrestle with the trials and the challenges of life, we discover that some of those understandings about God are just simply wrong. Some are way too simple and not robust enough to help us navigate the trials we're in right now. And it's in the middle of those trials that we ask God, who are you and why aren't you showing up the way I expect you to? Just like what happened for Job. God, where are you? Why are you such a disappointment? Why aren't you showing yourself in the way I would expect you to do? And at the end of the book of Job, Job has these incredible insights and understandings about himself and his life and, and God 
that he is living a grown-up faith that was never there before. That's what God does with the trials that occur in the midst of time. He grows up our understanding of who he is. And we discover we have a big God, a strong God, an incomprehensible God, but a God of mercy and compassion and ability. How does it happen? It happens because we live life. And over time, we discover things about the character of God. Time bears fruit. Time builds community. And time eliminates confusion. So we come to the third point here that I want to stress with us, and and James clearly does it, and that is that if God has given time, given us time, he actually has made time, and there is the benefit of time and what it can shape and what it can accomplish, uh, what does it mean for us to be accountable to it? Because there is that written into the text as well, too. We will have to account for our use of time. It's this stewardship. It's this reminder in verse 7, the Lord will return. The Lord is coming, and his coming is near. And we need to know that. There's a warning here, because God will come and show himself to be a judge for those who have chosen not to use the gift given them in the way it was intended to be used. We see the theme of judge in verse 9. We see it again in verse 12. For those who are poor stewards of what is given them, God will come and he will ask hard questions and bring stern rebuke because that's what he does. But there's also another theme in regards to the Lord's coming. The Lord will come and the Lord will be judged to those who have squandered what God has given them. But the Lord will also come and he will be giving, givers of grace and encouragement to those who use the gifts that he has provided. We see Jesus telling stories about this in Matthew and in Luke as well. In the book of Matthew, God calls the servant forward to whom, the master calls the servant forward to whom he has given great resources. And the servant has used those resources and things have grown. And he says to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives that servant actually more um, to work with. And then he invites them into, it says, come and share in your master's happiness. So what will we do with time that is given us? It is a gift. It has incredible power. What will we do with it? And when God returns, when Christ returns, will he come in my life as judge? Or will he come in my life as one who encourages and builds up and strengthens? Now we know our eternal destiny is secure because of the grace of God. But this sense of him coming in and asking us, Mark, what did you do with the powerful gift I gave you is a part of my conversation that I will have with my father. Not because he wants to scold me in the end, but right now he wants to encourage me to use, to use the gift that I have been given and the power that he will bring with it. Time is a gift that God gives. How will I use time? How will I manage the passing of time? And how will I live without 
losing time or letting it simply run through my fingers. Well, there's a great illustration here, and it's the illustration of a farmer. God gives us a, a vocation, and the vocation is to be a farmer, to be a person who uses time rather than spends it. What are the traits of a farmer? Well, there are a number of them that are mentioned here, and they're relevant to us. The first is this. A farmer must be patient, exhibit trust over time. It's not in my control. I can't control the spring or the autumn rains, but there's a lot I must do to be prepared for those spring and those autumn rains. I labor with hope because living things grow. And so what do I do in my vocation as a follower of Jesus, a farmer really, I must be patient, even in the midst of suffering, but I must be patient, anticipating even the, even the difficulties that will come along the way. To just say, God's in control of the harvest, I plant the seeds, I work the ground, and I wait for God to do beautiful things, because he makes beautiful things. Second aspect about what a farmer does is a farmer grows valuable crops and things, not weeds, but things of value. It talks about, in verse 7, the land yields its valuable crop because I have planted seeds that lead to the growth of valuable things. A farmer buries a seed in the ground, and even after it sprouts, it's a long time till harvest. But if I've planted a seed in the ground, I know harvest will come. So here's my question for you, and my question for me is, what kind of seeds have I planted with my life? What kind of seeds have I planted? Not the kind that I will see immediate impact from, but the things I will plant in my life that may not bear fruit for years and years to come. What are those kinds of seeds? Let me give you some examples of what those seeds might look like. I've heard this from people in our church family. People who plant the seeds of relationship. And they decide to jump into relationship with other people, oftentimes through a small group. Do you know how awkward a small group is at the beginning? You know, I don't know what I think of you, and I'm not sure I like you, and oh, I just learned something new about you. And yet to plant a seed is to say, nope, I'm here. I'm in relationship with you. We're going to apply God's word with one another over time, and we're going to learn a lot about God and a lot about each other. And we plant those seeds of commitment and coming alongside and restoring one another and being there in the midst of prayer and turmoil with each other. Those are seeds planted that yield a harvest 10, 15, 20 years later. You don't see it immediately. You might just sit back and you say, well, nothing's happening there. This is a colossal waste of time. And yet as farmers, we plant seeds and through the autumn and spring rains, we see that a harvest takes place. Some of you are planting seeds where you're actually involved in your career or your vocation. I've heard stories about some of the places where some of you are working. And I've heard stories about how excruciating it is and how hard it is and how disappointing it is. There's stories about those of you who are working in our public schools and the challenge that comes with, with loving and caring and, and staying there with kids. You're planting seeds. And you might say, 
This is a colossal waste of time. But when farmers plant seeds, God shows up and provides the autumn and the spring rains. Wait. In fact, you may never get to hear the story of the harvest that takes place, but there's a seed that grows in the ground. I know some of you are involved in relationships with people that have come to our country from different places in the world and just floundering and trying to figure out how to navigate their way through life. I had a conversation with a person just a little while ago, and he says, you know, we've been in that person's life for eight years now. Totally different worldview, faith understanding, completely different than ours. And you know what's happening in their life today? We are actually watching God welcome them into relationship with himself. Eight years of working and tending and loving and caring and connecting and finding hearts being joined together like that. And then a harvest takes place along the way. For some of you that have broken relationships in your life right now, and you say, it will never be the same. Oh, oh, there is a God who waters relationships with rain and allows seemingly dead places to spring to life again. And it doesn't happen overnight. You just spend one day giving attention to the time in that day to invest in that relationship. And then the next day comes along. I'm praying for somebody right now, and it just seems so hopeless to me. God gave me this vision of, Mark, every morning, here's what you do. You just pray. You just plant one more grass seed in the ground, and, and then you come back to it tomorrow. And you plant another seed in the ground, and another seed, and it just seems so small and insignificant just a little blade of grass. Just pray, Mark. This is the beauty of time, is that every morning you get to pray for that person in that situation. Someday, a lawn will grow. A beautiful green lawn. Because this is how God works. Over time, He causes things to grow. And then there's a third point of it, which you've already mentioned. Farming is a daily pursuit. Uh, farmers wait, but they, I, I don't think they ever take a day off. There's always something to do. That's what God gives us. What does waiting look like? Waiting looks like laboring alongside of what it is that God is doing, that he changes things. It involves partnership with God through the seasons of life. It involves every day being involved in the time that he gives us to do things that will bear fruit and create a harvest. And then third or fourth, farmers pray. Farmers pray. Have you ever seen that Norman Rockwell picture of a family around a dinner table? And I'm pretty sure it's a farming family. And, and they're just praying and asking God to work because so much is out of their control. I don't know one sector, one vocation where the character of the people that are involved in it isn't 
more characterized by pray, be, prayer because there's so much outside of their control. And uh, that's what we see actually here in the text as God calls his people to prayer. Now we're going to talk about prayer next week uh, in, in more detail, particularly this prayer that's described in verses 13 and following. But I want to set us up for it this morning as we think about what it means for us to, through the process of our life, through the time that God gives us, um, engage in God's work that bears fruit. And you know, may know by now that we're moving towards a week, the first week of Advent, right after Thanksgiving weekend is over. We're going to come together and worship on Sunday morning, uh, November 29th. And then for the rest of the week, we're, we don't have any activities planned. No, no activities that are planned. Because we want to walk into a time of, a season of, in preparation for Advent, where we listen to God, where we seek God, and where we offer our prayers to God. And so if you're getting together as a small group, maybe you know this already, you've made some plans to just get together and to worship and to pray and to listen to God. Um, there, there are activities that are available for you out in the foyer here. There's a wonderful table that will introduce you to those things. There is this brochure that you can take with us or you can pick it up. We'll have a copy of it available electronically online. And we've titled The Week Enough, talking about God will give us enough, everything we need. And on the back of it, there's just a summation of the rhythms of the week and the resources that will be available to us as a church family along the way. So you can access some of these resources online. You can engage in them um, in your small group, you can engage in, engage in them individually, or you can engage in them um, just down the hall in the prayer room. I don't know how many of you have seen the prayer room. I actually went in there this morning and took a couple of pictures of it where you see just the beauty of this place. I mean, I go to retreat centers because I want to find places like that to just sit and be refreshed and think. And so you can see just the beauty of this place that's available. It's yours. You can actually sign up and take an hour and be in there all by yourself, all alone, or with people that matter to you, to just come away and spend time. You say, I don't know what in the world I will do with an hour. There are plenty of resources along the way uh, in there that will just guide you through that time. And I promise you that hour will go by just like that. That's actually the increments that we've signed up, hours uh, that we've invited for sign-up. And you can see on the, on the uh, windows, just in the back in the foyer there, there are places where if you get there soon enough, you can actually sign up for a time that will be made available to you. You can come any hour of the day, any hour of the night. You'll need some help with security if you're going to be coming uh, late at night or early in the morning. But it's available, and we'll make sure that it's open to you. You actually see out there these little prayer cards that say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we just actually invite you to pick one up right on the table out there. And these are for you to put prayers on. Uh, to, uh, things that you want to ask God for help with. And we just invite you to write a prayer on it, even this morning, fold it, and walk down to the prayer room. And there's a wall in there. Can we back up a little bit and see some of those pictures? Uh, you can see the wall to the right there. There are actually slots in that. And uh, last time we did this, we just invited people to put their prayer requests right in there. You don't have to put your name on them, but um, those of us that go in there and have 
things that we want to pray for for the church family. I mean, we'll just pick them out and, and, and read them and, and pray for you and pray for whatever that is as we become uh, uh, deeply engaged in, in bearing one, another, one another's burdens along the way. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start Advent, celebrate God's presence with us in the world, and pray and worship the Lord together. And in the midst of that time, watch what God does through our lives as we worship him. I was on a golfing outing a um, number of years ago, actually. It was in Arizona. And uh, I was playing with a bunch of guys. I was way over my head. And so I was just trying to capitalize on the conversations because I couldn't capitalize on the game. And uh, I was asking this guy who joined us. I didn't know him. He was a friend of one of the guys that I was playing with. And he actually was retired, and he was, I think he was probably 45 years old. You know, he had been part of the uh, Silicon uh, uh, Valley, the boom, you know, that, that dot-com thing. And he had made his number by the time he was in his early 40s. And uh, he had a house on the golf course and a wife and kids, and it was just kind of like everything he had defined as being perfect and and there he was golfing any day he wanted to. Asked him a little bit about his life. And I said, so what is it like for you to be retired at 45 years old? And he says, it is so great. He says, I get up in the morning and I go work out in the gym. And then I come out here and I play golf and I party at night and I get up the next morning, go to the gym and play golf and I party at night. He says, it is just the best thing in the world. The thing I noticed about his game, the guy was yelling and cursing and throwing his golf clubs. It's working really well for you, huh? You know, I actually think God made us for something different than that. I actually think God made us to be farmers. Made us to have a calling that invites us to be a part of God's kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And my level of contentment is found in my willingness to be engaged. And it starts with us seeking his face. Let's do that together the next couple of weeks. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this invitation that you've given us. Thank you for the time that you bring into our lives. And Lord, I pray now that you would give us wisdom in understanding how we apply this in our lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen.